Howdy there, folks, and welcome to The Random Men, where two experts in nothing talk about everything. This episode will be a continuation of last week's episode about the Old West, essentially part two. So with no need for a long introduction, let's jump right back in as two random men continue to discuss the Old West. Back in the saddle again. Yes, yes we are. <laughs> this is one of those topics that you could go on... There are whole podcasts built around the Old West. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think this was one of those ones that when we very first started talking about it, we were like, dude, we're going to have to do a two-parter for sure uh, because there's just so much. And we're still not going to – we're still just hitting at, at the beginning of little things here and there and dusting the surface, right? Oh, yeah. It was a whole time and play. It was like 80 years of American history. Yeah. To kind of uh, just give a real short recap, you know, we talked about uh, the different stuff with – kind of the difference in the old west and the wild west and all the stuff they talked about with the cowboys and outlaws uh brothels uh saloons bars, saloons uh you know gamblers all that kind of stuff um i want to take it back just a little bit okay and i think we need to discuss the oregon trail Ooh, there's because a snake in my boots anybody <laughs> Our age probably remembers playing the game, the Oregon Trail, in well, school. There's been different iterations um, of it, man. So We're many about of the them. Yeah, OG so, Oregon Trail. Yeah, yeah. Us played the OG one. <laughs> and the thing that always stood out to me about it was you just died really fast in the game. <laughs> and in real life. And yeah, and that was like pretty much how it worked in real life. Um, Treacherous. The things that stuck out to me were either A, you died of some kind of disease, B, you died because something happened to your wagon or your horses or mules. Your transportation and your... Your your means. Supplies. Yeah, your supplies. Or three, you were attacked by Indians or bandits or something like that. Or animals. Or animals or something. Yeah, something attacked you and killed you. (laughs) Something killed you. So, that being said... The game was actually fairly accurate (laughs) in a lot of things. They say that there's somewhere around um, 400,000 pioneers that took the Oregon Trail. That's a lot. That's a rough estimate. But anyway, of them, there was approximately 20,000 deaths. You know, I would have thought it would have been higher. Comparative to the, the the number of people yeah, that made the trek, yeah, yeah, especially that's still it a was, lot. It, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying that's yeah anything minuscule. Your, but so, that's a your lot. survival odds weren't the greatest, but anyway, um, the biggest the biggest thing that happened was definitely disease was the one that got most of them. That seems kind of the number one killer of any peoples that take pilgrimage. You're traveling somewhere different. You've never been there before. It's it's a fairly untraveled land. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, dysentery was one of the biggest ones. I mean, again, back to the game, and I'm going <laughs> to reference the game a lot, because it really does kind of tie into a lot of it. That, like, how many times you're playing, you're like, oh, dysentery, you're dead. Yeah, you couldn't get something right just like a snake bite. Yeah. But then there were things like a snake bite that's going to kill you, because nowadays you get snake bitten. And you have a very good chance of survival just because of modern medicine and everything that we get, you know, nowadays. Back then, you didn't have that, especially on this trail. 
Well, think about it. A lot of these people were immigrants. The majority of them were immigrants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they didn't know to watch out for things like rattlesnakes and copperheads and all the different animal life that was dangerous. Yeah. They'd never seen a freaking diamondback rattlesnake. There was so many of them that just did not have any idea what they were really in for. Yeah. Keep your kids away from digging in rocks, rock piles. And it's like, oh, go grab the rocks. We're going to build a fire pit. And it's like, that's where snakes hide. Don't go poop in the river because that's where we're getting the water from. (laughs) I mean... I mean, yeah, that seems kind of common sense. It's, today it does. Don't drink downstream from the herd. Today it uh. does. Yeah, but back in those days, people didn't think about it. I mean, think we're we're not talking too long away from uh, people having chamber pots and stuff and just throwing them out in the streets. True sickness, you know. So yes, disease was definitely the big thing. Sanitation. Um, but the wildlife and stuff. Yeah, of course. You know, getting bit by a snake. You're, you're probably going to die because guess what? If that's a venomous snake, there's nobody there. Like a lot of times you didn't have a doctor with you. No. Even in when, once the West started to become established, doctors were a joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll hit the doctor one here in a little bit when we fast forward uh, back to the wild West here in a minute. But back to the Oregon Trail thing, everybody has probably heard the term circle the wagons. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think that that really was a thing because they oh would circle the wagons because you would defense. have defense right right really what that was was to keep your animals in your circle so they didn't wander off at night and get uh, like attacked by wolves or something like that and either just wander off and you don't find them or they get eaten oh. so see my mind would go to that wouldn't be big enough but these people weren't Herding cattle at the time, they just had their no. goats and sheep and no, pigs. Because another big thing, misconception, is this had Before to be as minimal supplies as possible. Because you are traveling such a great distance that you can't haul a bunch of stuff. You can't bring along the supplies to not only feed yourself, but then also all these other animals. So you had your mules or horses, and you had to make sure, like, okay... I have to take care of them, mm-hmm. and then obviously I have to feed me and my family and however many people are in our party. We can't have just a bunch of animals running around. We can't, like I said, uh, herding cattle and stuff like that. Like You didn't have the ability to take that kind of oh, stuff yeah. with you. If your horse or mule died, you died. Yeah, you're as well, man. stuck out in the middle of yeah. nothingness. So, the whole thing with like how, many, how much supplies you took was a big factor. Also, your wagon could only hold so much weight, okay? So think about this. Put this in perspective. Your wagon can only hold so much weight. If something happens to your wagon, you are screwed. You're going to die. You're on foot from there on. Well, and that was another big misconception is most people think of, they see these visions of, oh, the Oregon Trail and people going and doing this. And they see, what, probably the guy with the reins. Steering the horse and doing the whole sitting thing. On a board. Uh, meanwhile, the wife and the children are sitting back at the wagon there and, and you know they're probably knitting or whatever. The covered wagon stereotypical. Yeah, yeah. Nope. That's not how this shit happened. Not at all. You walked. You walked or rode on horse 90% of the trail. Yeah. Seems like if your animals were working to tow all your shit, well, you didn't first want off, them having to haul you too. A lot of the wagons weren't able to carry huge loads like they can only carry so much weight yeah and then you also have to think about the train you were going on 
and something as simple as you know a wheel breaking or heaven forbid an axle breaking like that's that turns into a big big thing when you're around the trail <laughs> man bad. because you probably only have a couple extra wheels with you that maybe you've been bringing maybe like one or two axles maybe or you're out there trying to you know uh, forge for whatever stuff you know Chopping out a tree. I got to figure out how to make an axle on the fly. Like I would I, not like to try to make a wagon wheel out of scratch. Nope. Nope. Not <laughs> at all. But would be a handy... If you were, if you, if you could, like, yeah, I think I might would... Talent to know, yeah. Yeah, talent to have or maybe pay somebody that it can build me a new wheel if I need to. I wonder, to. spare wheels on wagons. <laughs> so, little things like that. Like, that. that's a huge thing. So, your supplies on your wagon were so important that you were not going to ride along with it. That weight for that wagon was meant for supplies. I like how or, a plane or works people now. Are sick. Or people that are sick. Yeah. Well, it's um, like when so, you think of an airplane, it's like we've only got so much real estate for the weight on this thing. Yeah, A exactly. small, small yeah. plane. Yeah, a small you know, plane where it's like, like no, only... no, 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 you can't bring them bags. Yeah, sorry. So, yeah, most of the time people were walking or uh, on horseback. Wow. Can you imagine the feet? Because hmm. we don't have, you know, you didn't have a, a good pair of, Nikes or Skechers or something like that back in those <laughs> <Nice> days. Skechers. <laughs> not that they would, not that they would hold up in that terrain anyway. But still, like, yeah, you're like, uh, I you just didn't had have a visual shoes. of a freaking pioneer in a pair of white Skechers, man, just cruising along, not a problem in the world. <laughs> Jordans out there trying to make oh, it brush. Just a pair. Yeah. I'm thinking leather uh, boots, man. You're that, going, that's, but that's what I'm saying. Like, we just, you're like, going straight sneakers. Yeah. So, like, not not the most comfortable shoes is what I was getting at. Oh, okay. yeah, that that's what I was about to get to was just think about like blisters on your feet from walking or working in in damp conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you're out in the rain too long in some regular shoes, and I know they wore leather shoes, but still, just blisters alone, and then you're on oh, your feet all yeah. day traversing this terrain that's unforgiving that you've probably never been exposed to this kind of terrain. I wonder how much time. Before. In the evenings, was addressing just feet conditions. Oh yeah, probably a lot of it. You well, know, I mean everybody. I think too. Okay, so it t- typically took four to six months, depending on which route you went, what time you <laughs> left at, different things like that. Like it, this was a trek, man. Yeah, you're talking about like your wagon's gonna make it about fifteen miles a day. Did you watch 1883? Uh, I've seen a little bit of it. There's some some heartbreaking episodes on the Oregon Trail. That yeah. They're, when they have to give up all their stuff in the river before they do a river crossing. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, this is mm-hmm. our livelihood. I'm a musician. This is my instruments. And they're like, nope, got to stay here on the riverbank. Yep. If you want to make it across, you want to survive. Yep. That's what you yep. got to do. And they address the things about those the women's dresses dragging them down in the river. I mean, it's a, ooh, it's a rough watch. Well, and so- very real. You wouldn't think of that. Like, they wouldn't think of that. Yeah. A wet dress that's five layers deep is just going to get soaked and drag you right down. Yeah, because now it, now it weighs an extra 20 pounds or something. I mean, they're more oh, than no, that. Probably, no, probably that. like 100 pounds. Yeah. Now, on a bit of the flip side of that, on the trail was just littered full of Lovely one. berries. Mm, <laughs> go a little bit more morbid here. But one was dead bodies. Mm. Because if somebody died, you, you can't really stop and do anything. Like, it's American Everest. You just, okay, sorry, you know. Yeah, you can't, like, maybe they could get buried if you were lucky and had the yeah. strength and the time. Yeah. Um, but the other part was uh, there were, there was actually more supplies 
laid out through the trail than what people think. Because so many times you would get to a river or your uh, wagon would be too heavy. So they would offload stuff and drop it. So you might would look at it and be like, yeah, I found a wheel. I found a cachet. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Like, cool. Salt and lard. Yeah. <laughs> so. Horseshoes and belt buckles. Yeah. Yeah. So it, this, you get this unrelenting, just terrible terrain that only, depending on when you took off, only so many people had gone on that. Now, the further this went, the longer this went on, people started, you know, they worked on the trail. They started making it more passable. Uh, even some little uh, towns and little um, stops, I guess you'd say, started popping up through it. So it started getting a little better as time went on. But some of the earlier ones, dude, you're at the mercy of what you're doing. And you are totally at their mercy. Looking up some of the stuff, uh, some of the first wagon groups that made it all the way were missionaries. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't wrong when I said pilgrimage earlier. Yeah. Um, if there's one thing we know that you're not going to stop the religion, they're going to, you know, find a way. <laughs> Cross can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they actually paved the way for a lot of others. Because, I mean, okay, put a little bit more of this in perspective. Uh, everybody has probably heard of Manifest Destiny, um, the Lewis and Clark expedition, stuff like that. And that's kind of how it all got started. But then there was... You say the Oregon Trail, like, it wasn't, like, set in stone. Like, this was the only path you went down. Like, there were different routes. There were different ways. People were going to figure things out, you know, on their own and do stuff like that. And a lot of people didn't actually end up in Oregon. I mean, there was, you had these over 2,000 miles people were going that a lot of times they ended up, you know, like, going, hey, you know what? This place right here looks fucking great. This will do. I don't want to go any further. I'm staying right here the, where the I'm Yeah. And it's my understanding that people were going to Oregon for the fertile lands because the government was giving them free lands to settle mm -hmm. up there. Mm -hmm. Correct. Which is why a lot of it was immigrants and uh, downtrodden folks. Mm -hmm. And, and that like, was the whole. Maybe you know, they you, didn't have anything there wherever they were at. So it's like, why not make this trick? Yeah. You always hear about the Oregon trail. And it, the main question that never really gets brought up is why the fuck were they going there? <laughs> what was so special about Oregon? Yeah. You know, it's like, and, yeah. and that was it. It was like the government said, if you can make it up there, it's yours. You can take whatever you want. Yeah. And basically. the land was good for farming. Yeah. And yeah. What was that? Willamette, Willamette Valley, Willamette Valley, wherever it was that they were settling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was. And there were so many then trails that, that branched off from there. And you went to all these, what ended up being these other states that we have nowadays and kind of the early settlements for different things. Sounded so old, man, a state we have nowadays. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, hey, we're talking <laughs> you know, historical stuff. Anyway, historical stuff. Uh, there was, okay, check this out, though. So you would think that making this trek, if you can make it all the way, you'd be like, wow, not only was that the most difficult thing I've ever gone through in my life. I would never imagine trying to go back or do this over again. But there was a man. I feel like there's a butt coming. Ezra Meeker made it at least half a dozen times. Was he working as a guide he, or just for fun? <laughs> he did it for multiple reasons. Uh, early on, of course, was to go there for the original reason. But then he also believed that this was something that was a very historical uh i thought maybe he made it up there and was like it wasn't that bad <laughs> well shit i'm gonna uh, do it as, again as, let's as, go again let's run the marathon one more he, time as he went um 
he made the the venture multiple times, and as he got older, because of the differences in technology and how things had progressed, he was able to make it much easier every time. At one point, he made it by train. Oh, that must have been righteous for him, like <laughs> staring at the window going. Telling them uphills both ways in the snow stories to mm-hmm. everybody on the train. Be like, when I was mm-hmm. passing right by here. The story <laughs> goes. Got stopped by Buffalo. That the last time he made the trip, he was 94 years old. Whoa. And made it by one of the first aircrafts. What was this cat's name? Ezra Meeker. So, yeah, he made the, he, he did some pretty awesome stuff, but. As, like I said, every time he made it, it was a little easier than last. When you think of history. <laughs> but how cool is that? Like, he, he did this because he thought that it was so important for people to know about this. And it was. And during his other, like, the other times he went, like, every time he would go and make this trip, he would uh, put all these, like, marking stones and all this stuff. To, he would try to do whatever he could to make it a little bit easier for everybody to trek and let the people know what this was all about and, like, all these things that had happened. So, like, he was, like, this modern historian this unsung For hero it. of the trail. Yeah. And so, well, actually, he was a very sung hero. Ooh, sing it. Because this guy, whenever he'd come rolling into town, everybody knew he was coming, and they would celebrate him because they were like, every time he has done this, he's made it so much easier for other people. Now, by the end, the whole Oregon Trail, for what it was, had had passed on. Like, by that point, yeah. like I said, we, all, we already had... Uh, modern railway and railway not uh, modern but railway but yeah we had stuff like that so at that point he was just doing it for historical purposes he was the johnny appleseed of supplies and pioneers yeah everyone was like you know what this cat man he's 94 (laughs) years old the last time he did it now and he said by plane it was supposedly some some kind of craft some aircraft it's kind of (laughs) debated it was a glider (laughs) but yeah he made a big chunk of it by plane of some kind. Maybe it was a hot air balloon. Mm. Anyway, so just to think that somebody made the trip multiple times. Just the hardship of seeing the the trek done a couple of times <laughs> and how like everybody I knew died while we were going and then it's just like I'm on a I'm on a train. And they say that you can actually still see if you uh if you get on the original trail, you can actually still see some of the wheel ruts and stuff like that. That's in the ground. History's like, fun. That's cool. So anyway, so that's my little tidbit about the Oregon Trail. Um, oh, one one other thing was um, the whole idea about the them traveling and attacked by Indians. That was bullshit. That very rarely happened. If anything, them and the Indians worked together. Um, uh, we we talked a little bit on the last one how history because at that point is, the Indians didn't know. Well, we we talked about <laughs> you know. We talked about the last episode how what Native Americans have gotten a real bad rip for a lot of stuff that happened during this time period. But uh, no, like during the Oregon Trail, like yeah, they worked together a lot of times. Man, so yeah, that whole idea of like I said again with the, the circle of the wagon for defense. No, yeah, that was just popularized yeah, by movies yeah, and yeah, westerns yep, and yep, yep, yep. Well, speaking of long hard times, I think we should talk a little bit about the food. Okay. Okay, and here's a little interesting fact that Could during... have been that great. No, not at all. It's actually no, pretty no. bad. Uh, pretty awful, you could say. Yep, because uh, there was definitely no uh, no fast food, no even home-cooked meals, mm-mm. probably for a lot of Had to of make it. do with what you had. And, and we're moving on to more of a... We're still in the Old West, where we're talking about Wild West. Where, the where are we transition. at? Transition. 
We'll start off with like Civil War time. Yep. So 1860s, let's say. Okay. Uh, fun fact, the word awful that we would use, awful. Yeah. The definition is the entrails and internal organs of an animal used for food. Oh, yeah. And a lot of times these were pickled or congealed, things like that. So you get the term awful. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's but fitting. During the Civil War, like uh, U.S. Army soldiers that were Union soldiers, so about like 1861, do you know what they were rationed? What their rations were? No. 12 ounces of pork and one pound of beef. Hard bread, flour, and some cornmeal. Good luck with that. That's like not even a one meal for person uh, of a person today. Hmm. That was their ration. Here's what you got when you got went to get your rations. Now, Confederate soldiers weren't even that lucky. Most of the time, they didn't get any meat. They had to mm. make this mixture of like rice and molasses to substitute meat with, with with whatever they were mixing it with. So just total shit. People had to be really creative during this time. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Now, like some of the staples that would be food for back then when you were on travels, whether it was soldiers traveling or like you were talking about with Oregon Trail, people making treks, setting up homesteads, things like that. Hardtack. Have you ever heard of hardtack? I've, I've heard the term, but I don't know anything. So it's a it. mixture of like flour, water, and salt. That's it. Okay. <laughs> so you can imagine how wonderful this shit is. It's a, like, uh, in your mind, see about a half inch thick cracker. Okay. And what made it so good for traveling was that it wouldn't mold. Oh, Okay, so longevity. All right. But it also needed to be soaked to be eaten. Okay. So whether they were putting it in a boiling pot of water, some people would soak it in a river overnight just to make it... Dysentery. Again. Dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> Pops up again. Yeah. But this shit lasts for years. Like the shelf life, when they would give it to you, they would say, it's oh, it's good for a year. So you can imagine how terrible this stuff tastes. <laughs> but it has a long history, even that predates the, uh, the Old West. Because it was used by uh, pirates. They called them ship biscuits. Oh, yeah. Okay, makes so they, sense. Yeah. So they had terms like ship biscuit and they called them worm castles also. Uh-oh. Because the maggots and weevils would get in there. And it was said that the taste of the hardtack was so bad that people would prefer to use it as bait to trap the bugs to boil and eat the bugs Ooh. for protein. Well... You got to do what you got to do. And then in the darkness, you couldn't tell the difference between a worm castle and a regular piece. So hope you're not not eating while we're talking here. But another little fun fact about this hard tack is that it is believed that it was the basis for the Lambus bread in the Lord of the Rings. Because Tolkien was in World War I, and this stuff was used all the way up until like World War I, almost World War II as rations. Okay. Yeah, because that was the whole thing with the lamb spread is that it lasted forever. Yeah. But remember was, they talked about how bad it tastes? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Token. Yeah. And some people Token came up with... back up again. <laughs> yeah, but some people came up with different ways, of course, you know, necessity is a mother of invention. Like, so they would make like milk toast with it. If they could get canned milk or evaporated milk, that's what they would try to boil it with or make almost a gravy to pour on top to make it they have a little more milk palatable. Well, the first canning factory in America opened in 1812. Oh, okay. So it was there, not the easiest thing to get. So if you were able to get 
and have some canned milk, evaporated milk, something like that. Boy, howdy, were you heads and tails above the rest of anybody else traveling with you? Oh, okay. Probably a pretty popular guy at the campsite. Yeah, and I'm sure that costs a pretty penny, too. Mm-hmm. Can't imagine but, that it would have been cheap. Hey. There's actually a funny little clip you can look up on YouTube uh, from Eating History. Mm-hmm. That's an episode where the guys eat a 106-year-old piece of hardtack from the 50th anniversary of Gettysburg. Ooh. Okay. Okay. And <laughs> they say, the one guy that takes a bite of it goes, it tastes like an old basement. <laughs> an old damp basement. <laughs> oh, God. Or a gym shoe. You know, so I know you've been in this position where you're sitting at home, you're hungry, and for whatever reason, either you're just lazy, don't want to go to the store, uh, can't go, don't have the money, whatever the case may be, and you start looking around your house with all the stuff that like you have in your cabinets, and you try to like piece together, like, what can I possibly make? Oh, something? yeah. You're yeah, going to yeah. hodgepodge. Yeah. So can you imagine, with having these ingredients, flour, water, and salt, <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I got to make an edible meal out of this. Yeah. Ooh. That's rough. Yeah. That's rough, mm, buddy. Mm, 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 mm. Anyway, okay, continue. So, yeah, there's a little bit about hardtack. You can look it up. There are multiple things and articles and videos about hardtack, and it is just the worst. <laughs> no, I think I'm good. <laughs> but you told me enough. <laughs> Another one of the staples was what's referred to as salt horse. Now, it's not horse. Okay. It was just a term that they used for salted beef and pork okay. that was brined and then heavily salted. So, this shit was like tree bark. Don't think beef jerky. Think like a tree bark. But it was some kind of meat? It was some meat. Okay. And they did this to prevent bacteria growth. Just okay. like you would with regular salted meats that would be taken on any kind of travel, right? Yeah, yeah. But this one also did have to be soaked overnight in a stream to mm. even break it apart to, to eat it. Doesn't this it sound again. horrible? <laughs> again, it goes back to... Dysentery. Back again. Dysentery. Rears its ugly head. <laughs> and so that was another one of the staples of the travelers in the Old West. Okay. Was salt horse. And I guess because it tasted so bad, they compared it to, they just called it horse because you didn't eat horse. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So just a slang term for shitty salted meat. <laughs> and if you look up pictures of it, most of the time it's kind of just like black. Uh, yeah. Looks, like I said, th think of a tree bark or some coal um okay it's a little bit twinkly because of the salt okay but i guess it had mm -hmm. at least some kind of flavor of course your beans most often pinto was in every meal yeah breakfast lunch and dinner you had to have beans but they traveled and great source of protein again at least a little bit of flavor mm -hmm. at least yeah something yeah and then okay. you come to son of a bitch stew that's actually the name of that's it. the name of it sob stew okay which was because you didn't waste anything because you couldn't afford to. Mm -hmm. It was pretty much everything left over. Brains, heart, liver, tongue, entrails that were just boiled down. Oh. And you threw in whatever else you could find. Mm. Now, sounds gross. Extremely nutritious. Mm, yeah, I guess. Well, I'm, I don't know. Because you think about some of that stuff, depending on what animal it came from, uh, and how you cook it or prepare it. Um, could actually be considered a delicacy in certain parts of the world. It depending is. On, like I said, again, what it is, 
what it came from. Look at how many countries have like boiled head stew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So I actually feel like that one might not have been as bad as the other I, two. Yeah. Like that could actually been okay. It seems. I mean, right now we're looking at thinking like, oh, that's disgusting, whatever. But not back really. Then, I eat weird shit like that. Maybe not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I like liver and onions. There you so go. So something yeah. like that, I'm like, sure, let's go for a turn. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I used to think uh, chicken gizzards were disgusting. But considering the other things you just said to me, a chicken gizzard sounds amazing. Organ meat is so good for you. <laughs> <laughs> not a doctor. But organ meat's good for you. According to old wives' tales. <laughs> as far as I'll take it. Now, what gets really funny is some of the alternatives. Because you couldn't always get, say, coffee. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves coffee. Yeah, especially uh, back then. They always talked about uh, when doing a cattle drive that, uh, if I remember correctly, the highest paid, other than the, the head of the party... That the highest paid individual in the group of cowboys herding the cattle was the cook. Was Cookie. Because, one, not only can he cook and and do all this stuff and provide everybody, but he knew how to make so much out of so little Mm -hmm. that this guy was like, he's the one that's going to keep everybody together, keep the sanity of everyone. And one of the big things was how he did the coffee. Now... I'm assuming the coffee then versus coffee now, like, you know, coffee black to us right now, probably ain't nothing like... Yeah, I'm about to say, I, I do like black oh, coffee. Oh, I, I do too. That's, but yeah, probably not. You, you have that picture in your head again. A lot of this comes from just mental pop, images. Uh, yeah, yeah the, of, of the cookie over the seen. open fire Yeah, with the pot of coffee boiling and some biscuits cooking in a Dutch oven, right? Yeah. Well, you couldn't always get coffee. Mm-hmm. So they came up with a way to, let's say, replicate it without caffeine, and they made a thing called sweet potato coffee. What's the point of caffeine with no coffee? They just needed something different, man. I mean, pretty much water. So it was some, it was something different, anything different, any Plus, flavor profile that was different was not, not welcome. Mention, again, let's get away from the dysentery. Uh, by cooking... Yeah, by boiling <laughs> it. Boiling this water or whatever yeah. we're going to drink, so... Okay, okay. Yeah, so, and it is exactly what it sounds like. They would just take sweet potatoes, pound them up, let them dry, make a powder with it, and then use it just like they would coffee. Hmm. And okay. supposedly, it's really good. Hmm. Now, good to somebody in 1860 versus good to you now. I don't know. Might I, be kind of a stretch, but... I really like sweet potatoes, so I would give it a shot at least. I'd try at least it. you got to think, I mean, nutrients. Yeah. Two when you're drinking. Again, it doesn't sound as bad as some of the other ones you It doesn't said, sound so. as bad, does okay. it? I was okay. like, I would give it a go. That might <laughs> yeah. be one we need to experiment with one day. Yeah. Um, the Another one that was a substitute was peanut hot chocolate. Okay. When they couldn't get chocolate, because as you could imagine, that would be a creature comfort that was not accessible to a lot of people, especially out west. Well, and, you know, I, I kind of think about it like, like I said a minute ago about uh, certain things like with the cook uh, being the one that a good cook can kind of keep the morale, mm-hmm. um, keep everybody together. So if you had something like that, that was like, oh, here's this sweet treat of some kind or something that we can have that's a little bit different. It it could really benefit yeah. the whole group of everyone. A so, full belly makes a tame mind. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you get everybody. Okay. okay. So they're finding a substitute now for chocolate. Yeah. 
And All so, right. exact same thing. Crush up peanuts into a powder and then would boil it if they had any milk or any anything milkish, I guess. <laughs> milk from canned milk or something like that. They'd boil it with that. And then if they had any little bits of chocolate, they could kind of add it in. But they said the flavor profile is pretty damn good. Hmm. So that would be the substitute for we don't have hot chocolate out here on the open range, but we do have peanut chocolate milk. Yeah. Or which, peanut I, hot chocolate. Yeah. Like I said, again, <laughs> would probably be something like huge. Like yeah. every well, like they, once a week, Cookie's able to make this. And they probably didn't think of it like, oh, this is a substitute. It was like, hey, make that thing that we like. Oh, yeah, they probably, hell, there's well, probably you make the peanut, never really even had real chocolate. Yeah. So we make the peanut hot chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, it's delicious. Huh. It's a treat at okay. the end of the week. Okay. Yep. They did the same thing with acorns to make bread. Grinding up acorns. Okay. Apparently, you can bake it and make a type of bread. Hmm. Seems to me like it'd be kind of tart, but okay. I again, guess sugar. Yeah, again, uh, give it a shot, I guess. If uh, you're hungry. That's true. At the end of the day, especially if you are out, you know, the right in the range and you're, you know, you've been out here doing all this stuff, you probably get to a point where you're like, I don't even give a shit what it tastes like. I'm, I'm just so hungry. I need a full belly and sleep. So, mm-hmm. yeah. just So we got sweet potato well. coffee, peanut hot chocolate, and acorn bread. Okay. Okay. What if I said to you vinegar pie? Vinegar pie? Mm-hmm. Um... Okay. Which, in the absence of fresh fruit, it was a mock lemon pie. It was just like butter, vinegar, salt, some nutmeg, sugar, and eggs. And you can still, all of this that I'm talking about, you can look up recipes for. They still have the recipes. Oh, I mean, I'm sure that this kind of stuff, I mean, people are still doing it nowadays. I mean, I'm I'm sure. Like I said, there's a couple of these that you've said that I wouldn't mind trying. You, you know, it can make for shot. a fun weekend yeah. <laughs> to see we're going to eat like pioneers. And that's what a lot of the videos, when you go to and watch them, mm-hmm. it's people mm-hmm. that are recreating pioneer foods, but okay. yeah, vinegar pie, still a recipe. I, man, I'm not a big pie guy. I don't know, but I guess I'd try a slice just to say I did. Uh, yeah. I got a feeling that vinegar pie is not <laughs> anything like the pie you're used to. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. It's a far cry from pecan, <laughs> man. Yeah. Ain't no cherry pie, Mm-mm. pumpkin pie. Not even a little bit. Mm. Watermelon syrup. Okay. Yep. Exactly what it sounds like. When they couldn't get syrup, they would crush up watermelon and make a type of syrup with it that you can still serve today. Looked up the videos. That doesn't sound bad at all. No, it actually looks pretty damn sweet. Yeah. Um, okay. And they'd put it over there. They call Can I put the slapjacks? Uh, watermelon syrup over my entrails and my whatever Ooh. and my nastiness, like just to cover up with the taste. Give <laughs> me anything. That scene in Elf when he's putting the syrup over the spaghetti. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, no. Hey, at some point somebody thought chicken and waffles was crazy, but guess what? That's one of the best things on the planet. Fantastic. <laughs> but he thought I was crazy, and I was like, chicken and waffles is the shit. Is the bomb diggity. <laughs> But you have watermelon syrup. Okay. So you can see where just invention comes from of them going, well, we need something that's kind of like this. What do we got? Oh, that's a sweet thing. Let's crush it up and try to make it into a syrup. Yeah. Okay. And then my last one for alternatives was kind of not an alternative is the way I would see it, but it's it. It's called beef tea. 
which we today would just call beef broth. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. And beef. not beef broth like you get out of the carton, but like homemade beef broth, which is, again, boiling bones and yeah, but cartilage I mean, and... Uh, bones and... Uh, marrow. Marrow. Yeah. 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 Or uh, slivers of beef that they would just... And it, they would boil this. And it was mostly used to serve to sick people that couldn't hold down food to try to get some nutrition into them, to try to settle yeah. their stomach. It was easier on the stomach than yeah. a lot of this hard crap that we're talking about with Even the salted today, beef. They, they still do that. Yeah, so... Okay. Can you imagine being sick out on the trail and mm-hmm. all they have to give you is this hard tack and salted beef that nobody can hold down and you've got a sick stomach? Hmm. Yeah, give me the broth. Um... That actually doesn't sound bad either, because, I mean, not only, mm-hmm. like you said, uh, to use on somebody sick or has an upset stomach, but, again, something like that you can use to cook with so many other different things. And oh, yeah, just you could throw in anything. Carrots and... Enhance the flavor, and actually, I mean, I'm kind of thinking, with something like that, you could actually probably make a pretty decent meal. If like, you were hungry yeah. on the trail, and you had a little bit of beef, and you could go find some wild vegetation, whether it was radishes or carrots or something like that, and you throw Anything. that out of that pot, that was probably fantastic yeah. on a cold night. Yeah. Like, hey, we're not eating bad tonight. Like, cool. I feel good. Yeah. Huh. Sustenance. <laughs> hmm. Okay, so not all bad when it comes to the food. Uh, no. There was another one that's called, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, uh, pemmican. Mm-hmm. And think of it as the first trail mix. Okay. Essentially, it's yeah, love me some trail mix, but beef jerky with a bunch of fruits sm- and nuts smashed into it when it's being dried. Okay. So you have this brick of meat that also has fruits and berries dried out in it. Again. And you just kind of nod off on it. This one doesn't sound too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. And this was actually used up until World War II. I know me and my father-in-law have uh, made jerky plenty of times in his little smokehouse uh that we have um i've been through the process you know i'm kind of thinking now if we would have taken some berries or something like that and either either just laid them on there or smashed into it like hmm that might actually i mean i'm sure there's got to be some kind of art to getting them to stick and not just fall off once it's drying but or the or 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 them just burn and you know while the meat's you know uh doing its thing but uh that doesn't yeah. sound bad. <laughs> no, it actually, there's a picture of it. It looks pretty damn good. Okay. Pemmican. And this was, I believe, a Native American recipe. Hmm. Is, is where they adapted it from. Mm-hmm. Adopted it from, I should say. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. You're kind of getting everything into one travel size. You throw it in the satchel, take it out, rip a chaw off of it, throw it back in the pouch. And hmm. it's got... All that goodness. Again, I, I don't see anything wrong with that one. So I'm I'm actually impressed a little bit by some of the stuff. But I will say, uh, after we did the last week's episode, I started thinking about some of the ingenuity that went into this era that we're talking about. Okay? And there's so much stuff that people just figured out out of necessity when you're on the fly, you got to survive. Um, that I, I, I'm actually kind of impressed with. Such as? Such as everybody knows the outlaws, and they think about, you know, Jesse James, Billy the Kid, you know, all these guys. Uh, 
Butch Cassidy, all that kind of stuff. And they they just think gun-toting outlaw out there, robbing banks, uh, you know, robbing stagecoaches, doing that kind of stuff. Shoot them up, pew pew. Yeah. What a lot of people don't know is some of them overhyped themselves and some of them were their own PR guys. Oh, they were, they were their own hype man. So Jesse James, for example, was one that he would actually leave behind little pamphlets of himself, <laughs> basically hyping himself up and talking about himself in these pamphlets about all of his deeds and what he'd done and literally promoting himself and kind of creating his own legend. Look how great I am. Because not only would he do these deeds and these acts that people were like, oh my gosh, you know, he, he went out there and did this. But then there would be this paper trail that he left behind himself. <laughs> of like his own newspaper clippings and such? Yeah. And that people, well, and some, some would be things that he wrote himself about himself. And That's... so then this would get passed on to somebody and they would look at it and they'd be like, oh, we'll read this thing that we read about this, this outlaw, Jesse James. Oh, he's totally the best. He's, yeah, he's going to be the greatest, you know, whatever. And it's like he was self-promoting himself. He was his own hype man. That's genius. Because do you know how many times that probably saved his ass in like a barroom? It created when, this whole thing of himself before he'd even really got to that point. Yeah. You know? Like if, if you're known as being that dangerous and you walk into the bank to do a stick up. People are less likely. Yeah, they're like, nope, it's just to James. fight like, back if they're like, that's the James gang. Yeah. Whereas, okay, so it's pretty darn smart. Actually, it really is if you think about it. He's kind of solving problems before they happen. It's just he's creating his own legend at this point. Props to props to Jesse because you got to think a lot of a lot of these outlaws. Of course, wasn't Billy the Kid kind of in the same vein? Well, so... Where he probably didn't murder as many people as... You gotta think. In this time, everybody is trying to make themselves look a little better than what they probably are. Yeah. You kind of live off your reputation. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. For sure. So, Billy the Kid, um, he was really only active for like four years. I think it was like, uh, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that. Like, it was like 17 when he first, like... I think stole his first horse and then he was like 21 when he was gunned down a very short time. Um, he said that he had killed, you know, 22 men or whatever, whatever he said, uh, he had done, but historians think it was more along lines, like four lying little shit. But that was kind of, that was kind of how everybody acted. Like you'd be sitting at the bar and think about like, you know, a bunch of guys (laughs) sitting at the bar. I'm like, well, you know what? I've killed two men. Well, you know what? I've killed four men. Well, you know what? I've killed six men. Well, you know what? I've killed ten. You know, and like yeah. everybody's just trying to outdo each other and try to make themselves look more braggadocious peacocking. Yeah, because like we talked about <laughs> in the last episode, the whole thing with like the gunfights and uh, having standoffs like that didn't happen. Yeah, really, weren't as prevalent as everybody thinks. But there's a reason for certain parts of it because of one, you know. How much it costs to actually own a gun, have ammunition. Uh, you know, Practice. obviously, you didn't want to just go out there and, just, you know, get in a fight with somebody and get, a, <laughs> get shot and killed. But then, if you had a reputation of, I've killed so many people, 
you don't get in the fight because then nobody's going to fight wanna, you. Nobody's going to fight mm-hmm. you. So they would put on this persona of this bigger, badder, oh, I've done this, I've done that, that kind of thing. Um, now their reputation was their shield. Essentially. I'm not taking away from their actions and what they uh, what they did and what they were capable of. This, I even said on you know on the last episode about uh, the people that were capable of pulling off bank heists. Yeah, those guys live now in legend and infamy because they were able to pull it off because it was so difficult to do. Uh, robbing stagecoaches was obviously much easier easier to do but still if i said i killed these many men i robbed these many places stagecoaches whatever then like you said people aren't going to jack with that guy he's like oh he's a badass like nope nope leave him alone yep so it kind of makes sense there's also a twofold to that and the other side of the sword which is things like wild bill where then it becomes i'm the man that killed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wild bill i'm the man that killed jesse james mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you kind of create your own <laughs> what was the story about Wild Bill? Uh, his his first shootout, which is I think one of the first recorded shootouts, was he and I might be mistaken here, and if I am, I'm so so sorry. But if I remember correctly, he didn't actually want to engage with the guy. He actually tried to talk it down over like a day or two, talked down the issue, and the guy stole his pocket watch. Ooh, bad move. And he was like, dude, give me back my watch. And the guy was like, F off. Come and get like, it. Nope. <laughs> yeah, whatever. And I think it actually came down to the point where the guy was walking across the street and he said to the guy, do not walk across the street with my pocket watch. And the guy told him, you know, fuck off or whatever the terms were back then. And he was like, okay, let's do this. And they drove, draw down on each other and he shot him and killed him. I think that was actually one of like the first real recorded shootouts. I think you're correct. So I mean, we'll roll with it right now. He was actually trying to talk out the situation, Diffuse like no, the like, situation. Wait, like hey, we don't need to do this. And it was like started over like a gambling debt or they something usually bullshit. were, you know, you know something something like that. <laughs> I really feel bad because I should know this. I, I really should yeah. be factual. But anyway, yeah. So there you go. So a lot of times. You're just looking to not get into a situation like this. And the best way to do that is to put yourself up on a pedestal like I'm I'm the baddest mofo out there. Make yourself someone nobody wants to fight with. Yeah. Makes sense. Especially in that time where it wasn't, you probably weren't going fisticuffs. It was going to be you yeah. gunned down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Bart. Ah. Probably heard that name mm-hmm. before. So he he was known for robbing stagecoaches. Okay, I, th- I want to say it was like 29 stagecoaches or something like that that he reportedly robbed. I just had a realization. Black Bart was the guy that the little boy in a Christmas story. Remember when he got the Red Rider? Yeah. That was the gang that he imagined in his head that he was fighting was Black Bart's gang. That is true. Wow. And I never put two and two together. That Black huh. Bart was really, that was the character that he was, yeah. That, hmm. that he was wanting to go against, which was probably in the serials and the radio shows. Yeah. Black Bart was probably a common bad guy. Hmm. But anyway, sorry, I interrupted anyway, your Black Bart uh, story. Yeah, like I said, he, he it was like 20, 28, 29, 30 uh, stagecoaches that he supposedly robbed. Okay? So he had a huge reputation on at least a couple 
of instances, he would leave behind poetry. Really? And so he started getting the the title of the gentleman bandit because he would rub it, but then he would leave behind poetry. <laughs> and it sounds kind of funny when you really think about it, but it's like, it's that's kind of cool. Ooh. Like, yeah, that was his kind of calling Saucy. card. Saucy. It's like he's and the gentleman bandit, Black Bart. It, it was only said like he, he only, that they know of, he only left behind poetry a handful of times. But again, we're talking about in a time where historically we were really, it's really hard to find details. It's way better than like Texas Jack or Turkey Creek. You know? I mean, but still it's like Black Bart, the poet. (laughs) If Black Bart wasn't a cool enough name for an outlaw. Yeah, no joke, yeah. Yeah, the gentleman poet, the gentleman outlaw, the gentleman bandit, the poet outlaw, whatever twist Mm -hmm. they put on it. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. leaving behind poetry. Come on. Yeah, I always thought that was pretty cool. And, you know, there was... Unfortunately, we don't have enough time to go into all these other outlaws and all these different bandits and all the different things they did. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it's kind of cool to think about, like, how many of them kind of took a different twist on things. It wasn't just about, oh, I'm going to rob a bank. Oh, I'm going to rob a stagecoach. Well, yeah, they had to create a name for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You're in a cool. world of outlaws, uh, you know, be the Riddler. <laughs> hey, they, they were a rogues gallery. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what's your thing? I leave poetry. What's your thing? Okay. I leave pamphlets of I myself behind. leave pamphlets of how awesome I am. <laughs> that would just still What's your laugh. thing? I keep thumbs. All right, you're out of the gang. Nope. We can't roll with you. No, that's a little too much, buddy. That's Thummy John? <laughs> Thummy John Bartok? <laughs> Where do you keep them? You know, speaking of rogues gallery... Uh, you're familiar with the Pinkertons, right? Pinkertons mm-hmm. Detective Agency. Oh, yeah. Super duper famous. Did you, a whole lot of apprehending and detective work. And yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you look into any kind of Old West literature or storytelling, the Pinkertons are always, I mean, they're they're featured in Red Dead 2. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Or, and I think yeah. maybe Red Dead 1. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. So the man that created this was Alan Pinkerton. And he was like an immigrant that moved to Chicago in the 1840s. And what he did was open a barrel making business. He wasn't even a detective at first. But what he did do was surveillance on a group of some unsavories who were doing, uh, they were like stealing, uh, counterfeit manufacturing, things of that nature. And he took it upon himself to do surveillance on them for long enough that he was able to get them prosecuted. Okay, this didn't really happen back then. 1840s. And somebody took that initiative and figured out what was going on? It was him. He became famous. Okay. Like local legend for being this guy that, oh man, look what he did here. So he ends up working hand in hand. The Chicago Police Department wants him to come like, hey, can you start to do some surveillance on other things for us and solve crimes? And he was like, okay. So he ends up working hand in hand with the Chicago Police Department until he eventually works his way up to sheriff of chicago Hmm. and then becomes the first police detective in association with the u.s post office as well he's so good in fact that in 1850 he opens the first private investigation firm the pinkerton's detective agency Mm -hmm. and they were hired out for a multitude of different things it was uh, railroads hunting down outlaws protecting postal delivery kind of anything you could think of that needed more grizzled lawmen, but that were smart as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. They were hired out for. So, I mean, there's you, you can go look at the slew of outlaws. There's even a rumor that they prevented the first couple of assassinations attempts on Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, so they were kind of like the... They were the go-tos. They were the, like the detective agency. The early, like, CIA... Uh, they were like the early FBI. FBI, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And they would infiltrate gangs, posses. They would send agents that would ride along with these posses, get in with them, be in the bars, be in the unsavory parts of town. Get it, like I said, get in and with do, the club yes. or with the group. And, and so they yeah, didn't yeah, just yeah. catch them red-handed. They had all the evidence leading up to mm-hmm. from their agents. I've been around with them for six weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what makes them so interesting. And they were damn good. They were actually the first, when we said rogues gallery earlier, they kept profiles and were the first ones that started this in, like I said, 1850 starting profiles on wanted men. Hmm. So they would keep things that could be shared between other departments, other police departments, um, scars, uh, height, weight, hair color, things they had done, anything that could profile them and they could share them throughout the nation gotcha so they could really keep yes. tabs on and that was yeah okay until the early 20th century with the fbi they were the shit mm-hmm. they were who mm-hmm. you went to so the pinkertons th- there's probably entire podcast dedicated to it yeah we just had to touch on it here because it warrants talking about on an old west podcast yeah because like i said they there was so much that they people they brought to justice uh, things they've figured out through detective work. Um, Not just outlaws, but like organized or, crime, yeah. early, early organized crime, pre-prohibition yeah. or organized crime, mm-hmm. uh, dirty things going on in city councils, all that kind of stuff. They, they, the Pinkertons were everywhere. Yeah. You had to look over your shoulder. The Pinkertons are mm. everywhere. They could be a member of your gang that's been riding <laughs> with you for two years. And he's an agent. Yeah. But this brings me to the thing. Yeah, I think it's time to do it. Let's do it. It's time for Search Engine Results. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining us for the first time, what we like to do every week is play a little game called Search Engine Results, where I ask the all-powerful internet a question, I get the answer, and then I have to present Keith with three different answers, and he tries to choose the right one. It's a fun little game we like to play. Play it along with us now. Are you ready to play, brother? Yes, sir. All right, man. Speaking of the Pinkertons Detective Agency. Mm Mm-hmm. Here's your question. What famous term for detectives are the Pinkertons responsible for? Okay. A. Gumshoe. B. Sleuth. Or C. Private Eye. Think private of, Eye. Watching you. Okay. Think about it for a second. What famous term for detectives are the Pinkertons responsible for? Gumshoe. Gumshoe sleuth, sleuth. Or Private Eye. Hmm. Sit in it for a second. Well, you know. I have a drink of this tasty beverage. I don't. It's tasty. Really have enough context to really. I mean, they're all logical answers. Yeah, and usually when we do this, I have some kind of like said some kind of context. I can kind of be like, oh well, that can't be possible yet, and I go from there. This one, man, I really don't. Uh, I I really think I'm just gonna have to take a shot in the dark on this one. Go for it. I'm confident in you. Um, I gumshoe sleuth or private eye. 
I think I will go with Sleuth. Negative. Damn. The correct answer is Private Eye. Nah, that was the other one I was going to go with. (laughs) (laughs) I always say that. And the reason being is because their symbol for the Pinkerton Detective Agency was an unblinking eye. Oh, damn. It was Uh, their, their calling card. It was on the doors of the... Office. It was on there. I've seen the cards. symbol. I should have. Yes, mm-hmm. I should yes. have put that together. No, dead. Go. So when you would hire a <laughs> private investigator, it just became kind of slang to call it a private eye. Yeah, like I said, I've seen the. I've seen it. I, I, yeah, I should have put that together. Yeah. Now, gumshoe came a little bit later, and it referred to rubber-soled shoes rather than leather, because mm-hmm. rubber was seen as better for sneaking. No, people couldn't yep. hear you, which it kind of came more from not the detectives, but the burglars. And then somehow just got twisted around to referring to them as a gumshoe or like chasing a gumshoe. So yeah. thieves, bandits, uh, burglars would like to wear these rubber soled shoes because they were quiet. They could get in places at night and not leave squeaking sounds like a rubber soled shoe or boot would leave at the time. Hmm. Sleuth now is actually much older. Really? It's Old Norse. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. From a word meaning to trail, like to trail an animal or to mm-hmm. trail a bandit, to trail uh, something you're in search for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so like a sleuth hound was used for tracking. Oh. So sleuth has been around longer than both of the terms. But yeah, private well, eye go. is where you get from the Pinkertons. Well... All right, then. Learned you something. You did. You learned me a couple <laughs> things, actually. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the other two had some pretty interesting stories behind them, too. And I was like, oh, well, we might as well drop that. Hmm. Well, I have one. This is a story about an individual Ooh. that I found personally super fascinating. Okay? Hit me, brother. And this is about a stagecoach driver by the name of Charlie Parkhurst. Parkhurst. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, should we even say the thing about shotgun? I feel like everybody knows that. Well, okay. So if if you're on a stagecoach and whoever has the reins is the driver, riding shotgun was the person that would ride right next to the person driving the driver. Usually carrying a shotgun. Usually carrying a shotgun. And their whole job was to defend stagecoach. Which is where we get the term today of riding next to the driver is calling shotgun. Shotgun, because, okay. yeah, you're the shotgun. I feel like we had to say yeah. it. Uh, eh, yeah. I feel like everybody kind of knows that, but it's worth, you know, it's uh, worth dropping. Hey, why not? Uh, why anyway, not? so we're going to get back to Charlie here. Give me to Charlie. So, Charlie had one eye. Okay. I already like how this is starting. Charlie drove stagecoaches that... That had to be kept on a narrow a trail times, with no depth perception? Well, a lot of times, <laughs> Charlie would drive the stagecoach in places that other people wouldn't drive. Okay? Yes. Was known for a reputation of being able to take care of things. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that driving a stagecoach through a thunderstorm was a big thing. Like, you didn't, you didn't do that. That was very dangerous. Yeah, it would seem like. So many things could go wrong. Um, for the driver, the passengers, the stagecoach, the horses. I mean, so so many. You're covered in like iron. 
Uh, yeah, for a lot of it. Yeah, there was <laughs> a lot a of metal. It's wood and iron all over what's surrounding you. And, you know, horses don't usually do great in thunderstorms. But also, <laughs> you know, battling bandits, uh, defending the stagecoach from anybody that would try to attack. It'd be harder Rob, to hear people riding up on you in a thunderstorm. They could get the drop on you easier. There are stories about Charlie once crossing a raging river on a bridge and got across it just in time before the bridge collapsed. So Charlie was a fucking madman. Charlie was not the guy you wanted driving your stagecoach or the exact guy you wanted or, driving yeah, your stagecoach. Yeah, the person you want to. Uh, there's another one where Charlie was able to stop a runaway stagecoach, jumped underneath it, got dragged by the stagecoach. Wait, underneath it? <laughs> Charlie jumped under the stagecoach. The worst place grabbed to... it and was able to basically use his use Charlie used his body as an anchor to no. stop the stagecoach. This is the worst plan. If you but it fucking you... worked. It fucking worked. <laughs> Lucky Charlie. Charlie stopped it. Stopped the stagecoach. If okay, <clears throat> if I was to tell you, Keith, I need you to stop this runaway stagecoach. Do you think your last plan would be, I'm going to throw my body underneath it and try to stop it with my heels in the dirt like no. a cartoon character? <laughs> Probably not, but <laughs> Charlie made it happen. That was the go-to. I feel like it was probably an accident that just worked out well for him. I'm sure he tried to jump on top and grab the reins, which would make absolute sense, and then fell underneath. That's speculation. That's just uh, me. Well, I, don't, you know, I don't think jump underneath stagecoach, stop with feet. Versus horsepower. How many times have we uh, used the term "what, whatever works"? That seems like Charlie's <laughs> motto, right? Sure. Uh, plenty of tales of Charlie stopping bandits from robbing them, whether it be outlaws, Indians, whatever the case may be. Seems hard nosed. Well, finally, Charlie started getting on, got a little older, and. Ended up getting cancer. Oh, no. Retired. Became a farmer for a little while. Everybody in the neighboring towns loved Charlie. Thought so highly about this individual and all these tales they had had. Okay? When Charlie finally died, everybody around there decided, hey, we want to do something really, really special. So, at the funeral... They were going to have this huge, huge, they were going to have a parade. They were going to have this, like, huge, just great send-off. And right? ceremoniously, we're going to throw his body underneath a passing wagon. So, as they prepared for the funeral, the doctor, who was a very good friend of Charlie's, started to prepare his body. As he prepared the body, he discovered Charlie was a woman. <gasps> Bum, bum, bum. And so at Charlene's funeral. Oh, my. Everybody sat there and went, wow, this is this amazing woman. Was able to do all these feats that a normal man could not have possibly done. Hmm. And I'm sure there was probably some people that were probably a little angry or, or, or upset. Probably but more most startled. of them, most of them said, well, that was Charlie. That was Charlie. 
<laughs> Holy cow. So I thought that was a cool ass story. I like that story, man. I don't even I don't even care how much of it is hyped up. Like still, like that's that's cool shit. I man. feel bad <laughs> about talking bad about Charlie now. Charlie did it. Oh, and one eyed uh, Wonder Woman. And on top of that, uh Charlie uh registered to vote in eighteen sixty eight. So technically First woman voter? First woman to vote in California. Give it up for Charlie. So, yeah. Still crazy as a bed bug, but... <laughs> yeah. That, that doesn't change the fact that... Charlie was a badass. Charlie was a badass. Good one, bro. So, I know you had at least one or two more food things that you said that you wanted to do I'm just going to kind of rapid finish. fire some... Some randoms at you. Okay. Roast skunk. Nope. <laughs> it was big and popular. Why? Because you could catch them. Because the thought was meat's meat. Okay. And there's a very delicate way, of course, you have to remove the scent glands before you really start butchering the animal. But, yeah, roast skunk was very popular. Okay. They were plentiful. A little bit on the slower side. Mm, all right. I guess hope that you shoot it and you don't have to kill it with a club. Okay. But yeah, roast skunk. Hmm. So, food for thought. Hmm. <laughs> head cheese. Head cheese. Back to that boiling of the heads. I've heard that. Yeah. It's actually the original working title for Texas Chainsaw Massacre was head cheese. Really? A little Kenny fun fact there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, same thing. Boiling a head. To all the fat kind of renders, and then it would congeal. Like a human head or no, like an animal? No, no, <laughs> not okay. a human head. Sorry, man. I was like, wait, wait what are you talking about? <laughs> Sorry, okay. that was too, a little too vague. Yeah. An animal head. <laughs> okay, animal head. Would be boiled, and then you remove the skull, all the meat, mm-hmm. fat, everything's left, congeals, and you would slice it and like put it on bread. Okay. Like you would cheese. Uh, I get you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Calf's foot jelly. Same principle. But was seen as a delicacy on the frontier. Okay. A little lemon, sugar, some egg whites, and then, uh, yeah, the feet of calves. Same thing. You boil them down, let all of it mix up, pull the bones out, mm-hmm. and it makes a gelatin. And was a sweet treat. I'm not big on any kind of gelatin, but okay. Uh, I guess I'm... Yeah, regular jello is kind of gross. I'm starving. Okay. But how about calf's foot jelly? I guess if nutrition's... Food's food, man. Yeah. I guess yeah. we got to think hungry people haven't eaten in a day or two. That was probably awesome. Okay. Another one that was popular during the Civil War was a thing called desiccated vegetables. Which they later would call desecrated vegetables because it was cubes of dried vegetables that were all just clumped together. Okay. Rock hard. And most soldiers would just throw them away. They said they were so nasty. The smell of just rotting vegetable coming off of it. They would try to boil it, try to mix it with things. It was part of rations, too. Uh, nobody enjoyed it. Uh, okay. It's notorious when you start looking up foodstuffs in mm-hmm. in the Old West. Desiccated vegetables. It sits, sits a, a, atop the mountain of nasty shit. Okay. Somebody thought it was a good idea. We'll just dry these vegetables out and send them with people. Didn't work out too well. Okay. 
And then your good old-fashioned, I think we talked about it on another episode, your Rocky Mountain Oysters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. After we, what you just said about the vegetables, uh, Rocky Mountain Oysters actually sound okay. Which are a delicacy. Yeah. Nowadays. Mm, yeah. Again, things cooked, okay, things cooked a certain way can be good. Uh, it just, now it's just moving past the fact of what it is. The fact that it's testicles. Yeah. So, hmm. Which makes me think, like, I often think about when it comes to food in different parts of the world and even things we enjoy here. Who was the first person to say, I'm going to eat them balls? Well, might have been one of those things, uh, just what you had left. I mean, yeah. they were eating everything else. I mean, lingua's a delicacy here. Tongue. Yeah. You know, Again, brain. I've never tried it, so I can't. I can't knock the taste or anything I've, like that, so I don't. I don't know. I'm not beyond it. I've never. I'm sure I've had the opportunity, but I've never paid attention to that. I had the opportunity. Like mm-hmm. if it was on a, a menu, mm-hmm. I just kind of skimmed past it and went, "Nope, not today." <laughs> but I guess at some point I'm going to have to break down and just say because I, I I'm like that as a as, bucket list. Like okay, well, well I tried it as semi foodies, I guess. Uh, mean you like to try new things stuff I've had a lot of different types of meat you know rattlesnake yeah a a whole a whole bunch of different things I can't really name them off right now but I've never really had a chance to do the Rocky Mountain oysters and I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to yeah again you know there's so many different things out there that uh, you know you cook it the right way but like I'm sure if, they're if delicious. There, yeah, if you're out there... Or people on, wouldn't still be eating them. Again, if you're out there on the range, and that's what you got, that's what you got, man. Hey, yeah. I'm not <laughs> going yeah, uh, to knock it. Okay, cool. Whatever works for you, man. You know, so, there's got to be some people listening along that are like, yeah, they're delicious, and some people going, absolutely not. not. Yeah, oh yeah, mm. oh yeah, for sure. Anyway. Did you know that in the Old West... <laughs> You could just call yourself doctor. Yes. You did not have to have a degree. There was no, yeah, there was no differentiating between nah. whether you were a doctor or not. You could just roll into a town and say, I'm Dr. Keith. Uh, and everybody uh, would just kind of take it at face value and say, well, we're going to go to him for everything now. I don't remember if, we, if I hit on it on the last episode or not, but most of the time, like we had medical, we had uh, universities set up. In bigger cities, especially up north at this time, but most of the time, outside of universities, you would train or learn underneath another self-proclaimed or possibly educated doctor. Well, sometimes that doctor might actually really know what's going on, or might just be, like you said, a self-proclaimed doctor. Mm -hmm. So... Their medical practice might be totally wackadoo. Everything was learned. If you didn't go to university, everything was learned secondhand. Yeah. Now, like, Doc Holliday was actually a dentist. Yeah. Right? But did you know that the first C-section performed in the United States, oh, this is bad, was performed by a janitor in 1827. Oh, man. A guy by the name of John Richmond. Okay. He was a janitor that worked at a medical school. Okay. And he would just listen in 
to the seminars and the studies that were going on and then later moved out west and called himself Dr. Richmond and one night he was called upon and performed the first C-section with just like pocket tools. Mm. Oh god. Yeah, this one's not mm. good. Now, I didn't say successful C-section mm. because the mother survived, but the child unfortunately did not. Oh. Yeah, he had no business doing that. But Technically speaking, it was the first C-section performed in the United States. Before you told me the end he had of never, that. No, here's the thing. He had never even seen a C-section performed uh. on a cadaver, in a situation. Never. He, he just, just went on the fly and said, I kind of know anatomy. Oh, man. Mm. Yeah. Uh, like I said, there were so many of them that, that learned under somebody else outside of a university or form of study like i said who knows the person they were training under might have no idea what they're doing is that where we get a quack from like it's yeah. just yeah then th that was notorious for the time mm-hmm for sure they had no anesthetics they had very little sanitation that they were doing hmm i mean they would mostly just give you like latinum which was derived from a poppy plant so it was pretty much opium yeah you know and they had cocaine and alcohol and that's what they would give you for surgeries. Yeah. Yeah. Or dental work. I mean, just brutal, brutal stuff. One of the things that the doctors would recommend was a, uh, they call it purgation. Okay. Which was a, they would give you a, I think it was called like um, calomel. And it was a mercury-based drug that would make you throw up. Oh. So if you were sick, they would recommend this. For you to just drink mercury and puke your guts up. So, oh, essentially poisoning people. Yeah, we'll just get it out of you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I will just you know, throw up the sickness. And then they <laughs> all often recommended bleeding, too, which is hilarious. Just bleeding. We'll just cut you and let you bleed. You'll bleed out of the bad blood. Yeah. I mean, Medication. this was only a hundred mm. plus years ago. And it's shit was still that primordial. Hmm. Brutal. Brutal. Hmm. Thank goodness we live in modern times. <sighs> yeah, how anybody survived. Uh, dysentery. Dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> I think on that note. <laughs> That's probably a good place to end this one, man. Yeah, yeah, I think a pretty good wrap-up of the Old West. Be glad you live now. Yeah, no joke. Mm -mm. They'd just be pumping you full of lot and I'm trying to pull that tooth. Mm-hmm. So don't let that happen to you. No. No, no. Well, with that, thank you all, everybody out there in listener land, for listening tonight to The Random Men. Mm-hmm. Be sure and drop down in that comment section and leave us some comments. We'd really like to know what you think about the shows, and uh, we look forward to hearing recommendations for future episodes. Also, be sure and hit that subscribe button so you get updated on all the upcoming episodes of The Random Men. Until next time, I'm Kenny. I'm Keith. And remember... Arrogance is the cowboy that talks, but confidence is the cowboy that shows. Mm -hmm.